Welcome to the 391st episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with writer Mark Everglade, author of the new novel, Hemispheres. Stay tuned for the interview. The Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro.fm. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 185,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a different story one that supports your local community and your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Here's your special offer from the Reading and Writing Podcast. Get two audiobooks for the price of one today with your first month of membership with the code RWPODCAST at checkout. This offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S., Check out Libro.fm today. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Mark Everglade, author of the new novel, Hemispheres. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. It's great to be here. Great. If someone listening hasn't heard about your novel, Hemispheres, yet, how would you describe the novel? Hemispheres is a cyberpunk novel. Now, Jeff, that is a certain subgenre of science fiction where the antagonists are not necessarily aliens and things, that, that the antagonists are more likely to be dystopian governments, uh, corrupt corporations. It's something that hits closer to home than the average science fiction novel. And cyberpunk has essentially been around for 40 years. And so people who are familiar with, say, The Matrix, Johnny Mnemonic, Blade Runner, they get the idea of the general aesthetic and vibe of the novel. Sure. Do you remember the original idea that led you to write Hemispheres? Yes. It was um, the discovery of the planet, a Glyce 581G. And this planet is a tidal-locked planet um, that exists many light years from here. And astronomers found it over a decade ago. Half the planet is essentially always dark. And half of the planet is always light because it's what we call tidal locked to the sun. And so that really inspired me as far as if you have a planet where half of it is always dark, how would that impact the culture in a cultural material sense? How would it impact things like religion, currency, economic systems, etc.? I know that in the novel, you explore the idea of a society with increasing polarization in terms of viewpoints and political views. And obviously, <laughs> excuse me, obviously, we're grappling with that now, I would say globally, but definitely in the US. And I'm curious, have you given thought to our current system and what might be leading to that? Can we all blame Mark Zuckerberg? You know, the current system, this is something that these political cycles that have occurred, have the, the roots of what's happening as far as our increased nationalism and the inequality in society go back many decades. Uh, the nationalism that we're seeing increase and the polarization increase is not something that's limited to the United States. 
It's something that you see in England with the Brexit movement and in many other parts of Europe as well. And there are tentative ties that one can argue to say collusion, interference with Russia, etc. I don't want to polarize the audience by making any personal commentary, but I will say that this is not a new problem. It is a problem that's been in the underground an undercurrent of social conflict that we're just seeing rise up again when it last really had a major uprising probably in the 60s. Gotcha. And what are your earliest memories of reading science fiction and fantasy yourself? It was really reading the cyberpunk books growing up. I was born in 1981. Neuromancer, the seminal work by William Gibson, came out in 1984. And so I was obviously too young to read it at the time. But books like The Sprawl Trilogy and Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash, they opened up whole new worlds. It wasn't just new worlds as far as a space like it was with, say, Heinlein and Asimov and whatnot. It was more than that, because it was cyberspace. It was virtual reality. They came up with words like cyberspace, avatar, virtual reality, augmented reality, all these new technology. And then in 1991, the internet released. And so these things, this technology they were describing became so real and so vivid. But there was also a lot of fear surrounding that whole era, whether it was political fears, the Cold War metastasizing in 1983, where it reached its height, or whether it was the fear of the internet, how would this change the world? How would cyberspace change reality and human relations? And it's done so in many ways. And so what was your path to writing and publishing hemispheres? Had you always wanted to be a writer? And did you write short stories before writing a novel? And I'm also curious if this is the first full-length novel you've written. Absolutely, Jeff. This is the first uh, novel, and I did write short stories, published in them in Exoplanet Magazine, Unreal Politic, other sorts of anthologies. And some of the chapters in Hemispheres were written 25 years ago. I'm um, 39 now. But they were literally written when I was 13, 14 years old. And chapter four and chapter six, for instance, I always wanted to be a writer, even before we had a computer and I was typing away on a typewriter. So it, it was something that I, I hadn't just this thirst for knowledge. And we didn't have the internet at that time. It was just coming out. So you basically spent your days in the bookstore in the library if you wanted to know something, more or less. And yeah, I, I absolutely always wanted to be a writer. And then I found Rock Hill Publishing and published this series of you know, chapters that I put together into a story that were compiled over a couple of decades of my life. And so what was the writing process for you with Hemispheres? And you just mentioned that a couple of chapters you wrote early on. Once you had the initial idea for the novel, did you plot it or is this something that has just coalesced over time? You know, a lot of people plot things, Jeff, and it makes it a lot easier to write, a lot more efficient. This novel took me 4,500 hours to write, and which is about 121 work weeks. And I think that part of the reason is that I didn't did not plot it. But I believe that when you give your characters realistic motivations and you put them into situations that are rife with inherent conflict, that the plot starts to write itself. And that's why I'm more of a pantser, some would say, in the sense of not plotting out the outline ahead of time. I think that the writing process becomes more organized when you plot, but it can also become a little bit boring because when I plot things, I say, how do I get from point A to point B? And I'm so focused on that that I can actually lose the kind of quality of the text, the tone. So are you working on another novel now? Yeah, I just finished um, my second one, which we're about to contract, called Digital Enlightenment. And it covers ideas of free speech in society. And essentially, it's about two civilizations. One of them where writing is outlawed, and the other one 
where every thought you have is projected on giant TV screens that go down every city street. So how do these two societies interact? One where everything they project, everything they think is all their secrets and everything is posted for the world to see. And the other society where they can't, where it's illegal to even. So that's the, the new one I'll be exploring that I will we'll publish uh, next year. The whole thing is almost a satire on what we post about ourselves on social media. <laughs> sure. Given your experience writing Hemispheres and now publishing the novel, what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are working on their own stories and novels? The first thing is to come up with a writer's group. We have a dedicated writer's group where authors like published cyberpunk authors like uh, Matt Goodwin, Eric Malachite, uh, Tanweer Dar, and others. We all provide feedback on one another's work. That feedback is essential. Lots of times science fiction authors are great at the science, Jeff, but they may not have enough empathy to empathize with the reader's perspective. And so there is nothing like feedback from another party. And besides that, there's arguments back and forth on how much you actually have to read to write. But in, a, in an age where everything's becoming everything, you know, video games, movies, everything's fast-paced, actually reading the books that are in the genre that defined your genre makes a big difference. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed and that you would mention? Enlightenment Now by Steven Pinker is a great nonfiction book about it kind of counters this idea of dystopian, actually, that cyberpunk is so often writing. So it basically shows that everything about it's written by neurolinguist Steven Pinker, and it shows all the great achievements we've made in the 20th century. I've also read uh, Nicholas Luhmann's nonfiction book, Systems Theory, which is second-order cybernetics. So the philosophy of my book is really very cybernetics-oriented for those who are familiar with systems theory. If not, it can be a bit abstract, and that's that sociological background of mine coming out. On the fiction side, I've read a lot of great books. Into Neon by Matthew Goodwin is one of my favorites. I just finished Europa by Alias Hurst, another great cyberpunk book. And cyberpunk's really, it has a whole, it's, it, there's a whole revival now. There's over 600 books in the subgenre that have been written. And so we're seeing like an, a revival uh, of this genre that, that had been called dead in 1986. In fact, I was talking to Bruce Bethke the other day. Now, Bruce created the word cyberpunk and invented this genre of literature in 1980 and published its, short, uh, its first story. And Bruce said, Mark, I never dreamed that 40 years from now, when I was writing that story in 1980, that we would still be talking about cyberpunk. And after being declared dead in 86, here it is again with novels like Behind Blue Eyes and Code Flicker and Ego Trip 
And there's a new novel being published every week. And why do you think that there has been that kind of enduring appeal 40 years later for this subgenre of science fiction? For one thing, there are aspects of today's society that are becoming more dystopian in ways. They're becoming more like what we wrote in our textbooks. We thought it was fiction, what we were writing, and some of that is becoming true. And second, there's a new game coming out, Cyberpunk 2077, at the end of the year, which is expected to sell 5 million copies. That's generating a lot of buzz about cyberpunk. Also, there's a sort of nostalgia that as we age that my generation X has towards the early 80s. And you see a lot of throwback to the 80s in movies like Stranger Things, TV shows like Black Mirror. Some of those episodes are cyberpunk. Uh, Westworld is borderline cyberpunk. And so you find across media resurgence, it may be just a cycle in the fashion trends that five years from now we won't be talking about again. And, and everything goes through those cycles so as they rehash, society rehashes its old ideas and puts a new uh, disguise on them. But for now, it's, it looks like it's here to stay. So where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novel, Hemispheres? They can go to www.markeverglade.com, everglade.com, markeverglade.com, and then Amazon or barnesandnoble.com are ways that you can get Hemispheres, unless you live in Florida, New York, New Jersey, Vermont, in which case many independent bookstores have picked up the novel in those states. Great. Again, we've been speaking with Mark Everglade, author of the new novel, Hemispheres. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Mark, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. And now stay tuned as author Mark Everglade reads from his novel, Hemispheres. The obsidian sky is pulled taut, as if a bow ready to release. It's about to tear itself in half, like a scribble to-do list there was never time to complete but Severum Rivenshear adjusts the sky's appearance just in time. Now the doughy clouds are stretched fonts, detailing the day's headlines, fading like the events into wispy nothingness. The jaundiced light of languishing fireflies flickers through a jar beside his bed. He projects the universe on the ceiling, counts the stars through his virtual heads-up display. Raising his hands, he zooms and frames the planet Clasey 581G between them, half of the planet forever enveloped in darkness, and half baking in eternal sunlight. Studying the uneven distribution of light, he swipes the entire display away in frustration, the cosmos cowering in disorganized pixels. Come, let us dream of the future. He raises his eyebrows twice to replay the recording. Her voice plays through his oral implants, as if each word is a polished pebble, gathering into a heavy feeling in his stomach. What future, he mumbles, as another alarm rings. Late. Rushing out to the station, a hard panning of whooshes crosses his ears as an Airbus zooms along his left and right side again. Losing his balance, he jerks his arm out to catch the railing. The back of the Airbus ruffles his clothes and vanishes down the tube. He jostles, catches his last jar of fireflies before it breaks. Film strips of sepia memory rip at either periphery, while the air compression tube fires and around a passenger cabins back and forth. Cheap dayburn knockoffs, he scoffs at his oral implants, slamming his hand against his ear, resounding like a tunnel tossed in a rough sea. Severum excels at anger management, but he has no employees to delegate it to, so he pops a neural mod, purchases another recycle bin for his emotions. 
But these implants, these augmentations make it easier to hunt bioluminaries, the thieves who steal light, the primary currency in the Vignot's densest districts. Three biolunis gather in a distant alley, spot him, and vanish into crooked concrete cracks that pass as tenement doors. He wrinkles his gun barrel nose at the sight of their bioluminescent skin, veined with bowel-cover rivulets like stillborn lightning. Altering one's body to produce light with the Lumidermis mod is a last desperate attempt for these fallen Icaruses to have enough light to live by. It also makes them light up like easy targets. Severin would net a nice little bonus for capturing them, but he turns away. Receiving the letters more important, an entire mission could be compromised if he's late, and the courier auctions off the information. Worse yet, he would be dishonorably discharged and broke. He picks up speed and nears the drop-off point. Severum hands a jar of fireflies to the courier, one of nature's trial and error children, in exchange for the letter, receiving it with seconds to spare. He pockets his last firefly in a matchbox with four wings of change. He sweeps a dark wave of oil-slick hair away and sighs with relief, but hesitates before opening the missive, churning the letter in his hands. A hooded man in his twenties stands at the edge of a stunted shop roof above him. He bends his knees, leaps down, swipes the letter from Severum's hand, and jumps up on some platforms to reach the roof. Shit, whatever war that letter contains is about to enter the underground market to be used by whichever corporation would profit the most from it. He must get that letter back. He right-mind-clicks on the thief above in V-Hud, sets his ossips to trace him, and runs through the street below to keep pace. The thief's body becomes outlined in augmented reality and reconstructed on a red grid based on partial visibility. Rounding a corner, he loses sight of the thief, but his heads-up display projects his last trajectory and the maximum perimeter in which he can be found based on his speed, age, and weight. The thief activates Chameleon as his appearance dissolves to onlookers, visible only as a translucent current of gray sand across the concrete rooftop. But as he climbs over a ventilation system, the steam from the air ducts disrupts his image. Severn races through the alley below, keeping track of the thief by focusing on the rooftops where he's leaping from building to building. Severn fires his pulsar, taking out the catwalk below the thief's feet. Debris explodes in every direction. The thief falls, opening his mouth and waving his hands, but finding no purchase. Severn anchors a foot behind himself for support and readies his arms. The bulge of weight hits him as he lowers his arms to absorb the impact. Hopefully you broke something, but something like your head, he says. In other words, something not too important to you. He snatches the letter from the thief and decrypts it in V-Hud. A date appears two weeks hence in 3085. The time, 2100, is spelled out beside the phrase, the towers, meaning the only towers prominent enough to be known without further detail. Military time suggests being prepared. What war, disguised as mere duty, is contained within this envelope? One thing's for sure, in a world where light is currency, the war between the hemispheres is contingent upon him attending that meeting, if only he knew which side to represent. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.